You're listening to a sermon podcast from Sovereign Grace Church in Bradford, Ontario. For more info, visit sovgracechurch.ca. So here's a question that I want to ask you. Why would God use the cross as the means to salvation? Couldn't there be a less, a less gruesome, a less humiliating way for the God of the universe to show that he so loved the world? Could he not just give his only son and not have him die? And what our passage shows us today that we'll read in a moment is that the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross <clears throat> is God's wise plan for salvation. So open your Bibles with me if you have them to 1 Corinthians 1 verses 18 to 25. It will be on the screen for you. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 1 18 to 25. And let me read it. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. In the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and, and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. What, the main idea of what I want to get across to you today is that the cross of Christ is God's peculiar and powerful way to save sinners. The cross of Christ is God's peculiar and powerful way to save sinners. We're going to have two points. We have, we'll see the message of the cross. What does the cross say? And then the response to the cross, the message of the cross and the response to the cross. So first, the message of the cross. So Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth. Now, a major issue in the Corinthian church was that of, of pride. They had begun to value outward appearances over the work of God's spirit. And if we look just before in verses 10 to 17, Paul is saying that he heard that certain people of the church had attached themselves to different preachers of the gospel, and they took pride in being part of their followers, being part of their camp. Now, this caused, this caused disunity, and, and Paul's antidote to this, like, like any good pastor, was to point them to the gospel, the good news. He knew that this, this division could be healed by seeing God's wisdom and values displayed in the gospel over and against the world's wisdom and values. The gospel, this gospel message, this word of the cross, is what we come to in verse 18. And let me read it for, for us again. <clears throat> for the word of the cross 
is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, what is this message of the cross? The cross says that people need saving. Here we see two groups of people. We see those who are perishing, and they see the cross as folly. And we see that that there are also those who are being saved who see the cross as the power of God. People perish because they are born sinners. From day one, from the first time they exit the womb, every human being comes into the world hostile to God's sovereign rule and his gracious ways. They want to dictate how life should go. They want to be God. And sin, this rebellion against God, cannot cannot just be swept under the rug. The God of justice must punish sin, and the penalty for the sin is death. This punishment separates man from holy God, and we see this in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And this separation from God is essentially death, being, being cut off from the source of life and of goodness. Now, now a king has, has every right to leave his rebel subjects to face their, their just penalty. But the king of kings, the Lord of lords, he is love. He, he desires a relationship with man. He, he desires to, to reveal his perfect character to his creation. He desires to save man from this death while also maintaining justice. Now, now th- think about this. A ruler who is both just and loving. And how does he choose to bring about this salvation? It's through the cross of Christ. On that cross, Christ took the penalty of death for man. John Stott puts it this way in his book, The Cross of Christ. This is what he says. The essence of our pride and sin is that man is substituting himself for God. And salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Jesus, the Son of God, born into this world, lived a perfect life, a sinless life, and took the penalty of death for sin that man deserved. He was mocked and spit upon. He was was flogged until the flesh was torn off his back. He was humiliated and, and paraded through the streets as a social pariah. He died the death reserved only for slaves and rebels, a a method of execution so crude that that it was not mentioned in polite company. He died in in darkness, in in excruciating pain, misunderstood by his family and his followers. He was hated by his own nation and forsaken by his father in his last hours. And, And why? Why this gory method of execution? Again, John Stott gives us an answer here. This is what he says. Our sin must be extremely horrible. Nothing reveals the gravity of sin like 
the cross. God chose the bloody death of his son to bring about the salvation for sinners. This, this is the power of God on, on full display. The death of his son saves those from certain death. Jesus Christ died for sinners and among sinners, bearing, bearing shame and scoffing rude in my place. Condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Oh, hallelujah, what's a savior? And how does, how does this saving message get into the ears of sinners? How do sinners hear of their peril and what Christ did for them? And if we look at verse 21, we see that this is done through preaching. Let me read verse 21 for us. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. God's great, his great pleasure of saving sinners and revealing himself to the world is communicated through the medium of, of preaching, the, the proclamation of the message of the cross. We've seen that the cross is, is not a pretty sight. And Paul's point here is that the substance of the gospel, the message of the cross of Christ, determines the appropriate style of the proclamation of that message. You know, you put your power tools in, in, a, in a rugged box. You don't put them in a silk purse. Human wisdom is, is smooth and it's easy to hear. But the gospel confronts humanity with power that is that is real and urgent even even offensive and that is the preaching of the gospel the declaration of what is true about god and about man but as we see in our in our verse it's not the preaching itself that saves it is belief in the content of the message it's belief in what god did in christ it is not what humans know, but what God does that saves. We see that God cannot be known by mere human wisdom. Any attempt to know God and be saved must come through the cross. God's self-revelation in the cross is the key to knowing him. You want to know God? Look at the cross. You want to know what defines love and justice and mercy and power and wisdom? Look at the cross. And this way of revealing himself and saving sinners is not only his delight, his pleasure, but part of his infinite wisdom. Look with me at verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. In God's wisdom, his infinite wisdom, he saw it best to save through his crucified son and deliver that message through the offensive preaching of imperfect men. This means of saving is all by the wisdom of God. John Murray in his book puts it this way. It was the splendid and unexpected device of divine wisdom. It was the free counsel of the good pleasure of God's will. It was the sovereign appointment of his grace and love. 
What seems foolish to the world to sacrifice oneself in order to save is from the fount of pure wisdom. The seeming weakness of God in Christ on the cross is shown in the end to be stronger than anything man can do to save himself. The message of the cross speaks loudly to God's infinite wisdom and his power. Now, if you are listening in and you are, you are not a Christian, as Pastor Tim says, we are, we are glad that you are here. God has brought you here to hear of this gospel through the preaching of his word. And what does the message of the cross mean for you? It should have been you on that cross. Your sin requires the payment of death and separation from God. Your sin has earned you the sentence of death in this life and in the next. But it was your sin, your, your pride, your, your selfishness, your lust, your grumbling. It was for sin like yours that Jesus died. You and I both would have been part of the crowd mocking Jesus and condemning him to death. There is innocent blood on your hands. Now you might say, what, what about people like me who are, who are doing good to others during these, during these trying times? You know, does this not tip the scales of divine justice in, in my favor? You know, I, I, I practice good physical distancing as a responsible citizen. I, I'm helping my, my elderly neighbors get food and supplies. I work hard to provide for my family and take care of my children. But what our passage tells you is that this way of thinking is you trying to get into God's graces without the cross. Now, it's, it's human nature to want to, to minimize your uncomfortable feelings of guilt and shame. But in this case, you are trying to set up your own system of justice, your own rules for right and for wrong. And this way, without the wisdom of God, without the cross of Christ, this way will not be able to get your hands clean. And for those of us who are Christians, what are the implications of the message of the cross? As we, as we consider again Christ crucified, we ought to ponder again the gravity of our sin. You know, we, just, we just heard the words of Isaiah 53 a, a few minutes ago. He was pierced for our iniquities, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It should have been us on that cross. And as we face the cross, we say in contrition, it was, it was me. I did it. My sins sent him there. I am the guilty one. It was my sin that held him there. But the privilege we have together as Christians is that the words guilty sinner is not the last word for us. We can rejoice that the cross brings us together, united in sharing the righteousness of Christ. 
But we are all we are all different, different upbringings, different ethnicities, and different careers. We can all celebrate that we have been saved by the one cross of Christ. You know, on, on the surface, I might not have much in common with, with those of you who are, are farmers or those of you who are stay-at-home moms. But what binds us together closer than, than family, what Nancy was sharing with us a little earlier, is that Christ's blood shed for us binds us together closer than brother or sister. The cross unites those of us who are far off from God and brings them near together as one. We can celebrate the unity that we have in the cross. Now, the message of the cross, as we just saw, brings people together, but it also, it also divides. We saw in verse 18 that it separates those who receive it as foolish and those who embrace it as good news. And this brings us to our second point, which is the response to the cross. So look with me at verse 19. Here we see the reason that there is hostility to the cross of Christ. And the reason is, is because it was predicted long ago. And what I want to do is to look at the verse that Paul quotes in the book of Isaiah, to see it in its context. So this is Isaiah 29, verses 13 to 14. And let me read it out for us. And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder. And the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. So here we see that the people of Israel are, they're indifferent and they're, they're arrogant towards God. And so God will do something that defies, that defies all imagination. And the cross of Christ is this, it's this wonder upon wonder. The promise of God overruling the wisdom of men who think they can go their own way without him. This promise is now realized in the cross of Christ. We see that history unfolds according to the word and design of God. He is not surprised when what he has predicted comes to pass. And then if we, if we look in verse 20, we see that Paul calls out the learned and the educated of the day, the wise, the scribe, the debater of the age. And he says, yes, he answers the question, yes, God has made foolish the wisdom of the world. He's showing that worldly wisdom is completely incapable of evaluating the significance of God's work on the cross. Now, now Paul is not, he's not railing against, against intellectualism of using the mind for, for good. If you've read any of his letters, you see that they're full of, of reason and of logic. But what he condemns here and what condemns man is godless intellectualism the search for wisdom that is devoid of God and not rooted in him. And perhaps for, for some of you, this was or this currently is your experience. And then if we turn to verse 22 and 23, we see what this response looks like. 
This division of, of Jews and Greeks of, of, or Greeks and Gentiles in Paul's time, it encompasses all of humanity, kind of like the division between man and woman. We see those who subscribed to the Jewish faith and we see those who didn't. Each group looked for different evidences of God apart from the cross. It says Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. The Jews were looking for someone to do powerful signs similar to the ones performed by Moses and the prophets in the Old Testament. They waited a Messiah, a military, a military conqueror that would save them from the oppression of surrounding nations. And for the Greeks, a prominent facet of their culture was a concern for wisdom. Think of philosophers like Plato and, and Socrates. And so in verse 23, the Jews saw Christ crucified as a stumbling block, something that causes opposition and disapproval. A, a crucified Christ does not display power. A, a message of weakness is offensive to their ears they think, you know, a bloodied blasphemer can't possibly deliver me. And for the Greeks, they, they worshipped a pantheon of gods, and it would be unwise, it would be unthinkable for the gods to treat their children in such a crude way. How could this be something divine? And both groups, whether seeking power or seeking reason, they have barriers that prevent them from believing the message of the cross. Now, that's the response of certain Jews and Gentiles. These are the ones who are perishing, who are lost in verse 18. They see the cross as foolishness. But there is one other group that responds differently. Look with me at verse 24. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of of God. Among the Jews and the Gentiles, there are some who rightly see the cross of Christ. They see Christ crucified as the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus' death on the cross reveals God's power to save people from sin and death. It shows his power to take impossible situations in the eyes of the world and redeem them for his sovereign purposes. It shows his power in taking, taking an object of torture and using it for the salvation of sinners. The Jews were blind to what they were looking for. And as we have already seen, the cross displays the wisdom of God. Colossians 2-3 tells us that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And Christ crucified shows the, the paradoxical way in which God accomplished salvation, a death to save from death. Man can only be saved on God's terms according to his divine wisdom. Now, you might, you might ask, how is it that, that some people can see the cross rightly? How is it that some sinners come to believe in the preaching of the gospel while others, while others discard it as, as nonsense? Look with me at verse 24. Again, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The reason is that because in God's unfathomable kindness, some are called 
They are chosen by God to be saved. They are the ones who believe in verse 21, whom God is pleased to save through the preaching of the gospel. They are the ones who are being saved in verse 18. God has given them, these undeserving sinners, the eyes to see Christ as the power and the wisdom of God. God has given them the gift of faith to believe their need for a Savior, and God has graciously given them the gift of repentance to swallow their pride and to turn to Jesus for salvation from sin and from death. Now, if you're not a Christian, if you're not yet a Christian, how how will you respond to Jesus? Today you have heard from, from God's word the true state of things. You have heard the things of God and where you stand in relation to him. And the cross will either be good news to you, the wisdom and the power of God, or will it continue to be folly in your ears? And in this day where a brush with death seems, seems more real to us than ever before in our generation, I, I urge you to take the time to look at yourself and then look at the cross. Look to Christ and what his death accomplished for sinners. And it is our prayer as we prayed before this service that God will grant you the gift of faith and repentance and that you will joyfully turn to Christ for salvation. And for those of us who have already responded in faith to Jesus, my my brothers and sisters in Christ, how do we continue to respond to the cross, to to, to orient our lives in a cross-centered Wait, let me give you let me give you two ways. So the first one is, you know, and I'm sure many of you are already doing this. The first thing that we can do is to seize opportunities to tell others of how God has saved you. Share about God has opened your eyes to see the cross not as folly, but as the power of God. You know, after this, do this, do this in your homes at lunch or dinner around the table. You can join, join a breakout room after the service and, and share this with friends old and new. And as we do so, as we share about how God in his power and wisdom has saved us, we remind ourselves and we remind each other that who we are is defined by the cross. And the second way is that we can pray a specific prayer for one another. Pray for each other that, especially in the time of COVID, we would rest and that we would trust in the wisdom and power of God. The cross, as we saw, an event of suffering and and horror was ordained by God to bring about good, which is the salvation of sinners like us. And from our vantage point right now, all we see in our country and around the world is is anxiety and, and fear and, and panic and death, and we have no firm idea of when this will end. But there is no doubt, no doubt, that God can and he will use this virus to bring about his good purposes. He will humble, humble sinners and saints alike to show himself to be all-wise and all-powerful. So pray for each other that we would trust the omniscient and the omnipotent God. Let us pray together. 
Father, not to us, not to us, O Lord, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. You have, in your goodness, you have chosen us before, in, chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before you. In love, you have predestined us for adoption in Christ to be your sons. And what a blessing it is to be your children. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the good news of the gospel. Um, we thank you for the salvation that you have freely offered us. And we pray that we would pattern our lives after the cross. And we pray also for those that you have brought here that have listened to the message of the cross. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would convict them. We pray that you would give them a holy fear of, of death and to turn to Christ for salvation. We thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. And we pray all this in your name. Amen.